Well, my first memory is uh, actually potty training. I hope that's appropriate for this podcast, but I have a very <laughs> early memory. Um, and I was a very food-motivated child, and my older sister is about four and a half years older than me, was helping out with my potty training. Uh-huh. And every time I used the toilet, I got an M&M, but only one M&M. And so I tried to like portion it out and I would go and I would sit on the toilet and I would squeeze as hard as I could and earn my M&M. And so I have a memory of just working real hard for that and getting a single M&M and going immediately to drink some more water so I could work on the next round. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, well, tell us who you are, where are you and what are you working on right now? Uh, so, uh, my name is Heather Coven, and I am in Eugene, Oregon, in the United States. And right now, my big push is on my uh, virtual productivity and accountability group uh, for remote workers called Go Go Done. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So, Go Go Done came um, as a brainstorm. Um, pulling from a lot of different sources, but basically came together in an online community um, of Seth Godin alumni. He runs workshops, and I was in an online community with a phenomenal group of people who have been through at least one of his workshops. Hmm. And I also um, had recently read Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, um, and it really hit home with me, this concept of an obliger, which is a person who does really well when they have a work buddy or their boss asks them to do something. Mm -hmm. But uh, if I set a goal for myself, it just doesn't quite seem to get prioritized and doesn't seem to get done. And and Gretchen posits that people who respond really well to external um, motivation, like a boss, like an appointment you need to make, like a workout buddy who you've committed to meeting, yeah. should just do more of that when they want to get things done. So I thought, how can I be more productive? And the answer was to hold myself more accountable. And that needed to include other people. So that was the need that spawned GoGo Done. And what GoGo Done is, because I am a remote worker, is people come together in a Zoom room and they get divided out into um, groups of two or three people. Uh, mm. And we do three Pomodoro sessions. And a Pomodoro session is 25 minutes on and a five-minute break. And so we do three of those. And we work on something for 25 minutes and then take a break and network with each other. And you get to meet a lot of different uh, people and have different conversations and have a little bit of support (laughs) when you're going through difficult work tasks. So, And then we come back together in the end and take a picture and celebrate what we got done. And I do multiple of those over the course of a week. Oh, okay. Yes, and uh, it's true what you say. Like um, when you are a freelance and you work on your own at some point maybe some people are very productive but I my guess is that uh, at some point you always uh, reach like a solitude limit and you can't just go any further on your own I have experienced that and and then you're saying uh, accountability can you tell us a little bit more of the value of accountability in this you're doing? Yeah, the thing I find to be the most common things people bring to these go-go done sessions, there's often that dream of a project that they never quite start. Like I've always wanted to do fill in the blank, but I never made the time to do it. 
And that was really exciting to see people finally take their first steps on something. They just needed a little vote of confidence. You know, I, um, I always say like, if I'm supposed to do yoga, I want to do yoga. If I'm doing it alone in my living room, I'll do 20 minutes. If you take me to a yoga class, I'm there the whole time. And I ride the wave of the other people there. I borrow their courage. I borrow their self-discipline. I borrow all of that and ride that wave. And so it's a really nice way to get unstuck or to just start something that's maybe a little bit scary. And then conversely, the other thing that happens is somebody has something they're just dreading, like the icky thing they don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> maybe processing their emails or it's just this ick project that they have to do, but it's just hard to start it because they and they just procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. Mm. And all you have to do for a go-go done session is sign up and show up. And so as soon as you show up, you're just you're there. You're in that yoga studio. And if you're, if you want to go do laundry or make, you know, make a sandwich, this is not the place and time to do it. You've committed to this. Now ride this wave for 90 minutes and get your work done. Right. And uh, what new opportunities do you have now that you didn't have a month ago, let's say? Well, just about a month ago, um, I was working in professional development for a large chain of physical therapy clinics. And as soon as COVID hit, I, you could see the writing on the wall. Professional development is not the department that they, you know, scrape together money to save. And so I did indeed get laid off, uh, which was really difficult for me. I'm definitely um, a little mm. bit of a, a type A workaholic. So that was, um, that hit my ego much harder than I was expecting. Mm. The silver lining to that is that now I have uh, a little more bandwidth and a little more space. Go Go Done was not on my, was on a wish list for me and I was nursing it along a baby step at a time. But with the opening up of my schedule and my headspace and my bandwidth, uh, I've been able to put a lot more time and energy into it and I'm starting to grow it. And um, so today... Go go don go go donors. What it's a community of how many people? Average, you think? Right now, I have a total of three hundred people who've been through a session. It's still in beta, mm. so there's no cost to it. And most of the people are coming from this Seth Godin community, but it's starting to spread by word of mouth. Um, just oh, over the past maybe couple of weeks, uh, I've been encouraging people to do just that, uh, and. Um, and so I, it's really going to stay, you know, and go, go uh, done. We'll oh, go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, there'll be a paid model of it, but I want to be sure that as we roll it out as sustainable as it is, I'd like it to, to be free to anyone who has been laid off or adversely affected by, uh, the COVID, uh, epi- uh pandemic. Cause I don't, you know, it's, Having community and yeah. having a place to go, especially if you're not used to being a remote worker, can be really, really helpful. So in any yeah. one session, you'll see as many as maybe 30 people. And we have a really early morning East Coast 6.30 a.m. group that oftentimes is closer to 10 or 15. Right. That, that's another um, curiosity that I had. Uh, do you have uh, people coming from many countries? Yeah, the nice thing about tapping into that Seth Godin community is he has very diverse students. So these people who have started Go Go Done with me are from all over the world. So we have people like you, Nina, who are <laughs> yeah. from New Caledonia, and plenty of Australians and some folks from New Zealand, and a lot of people from various places in Europe as well. Those are probably our um, our big our biggest hotspots outside of the United States and Canada. Oh, right. Oh. 
And it's uh, this paradox, right, of uh, having to stay at home and connecting like never before. Yeah, one of my Australian participants who now is hosting a a session who is a book editor and has worked remotely for a long time and joined GoGoDun maybe a couple of months ago when we opened our Australian Friendly Times, she said, you know, as long as I've been working remotely and as a book editor, I have never been so connected since I joined GoGoDun because now I'm working with people, whereas before she hadn't. And so as everybody else went on lockdown, because she started accessing people through a remote uh, platform, she started to feel more connected and, and having that kind of social need fulfilled. Beautiful. That's, yeah. Can you... Think about about a great success that you can share with us. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been successful in doing that took really decades to do and that I still feel is a work in progress, I used to be cripplingly shy. I could not have a conversation with anyone. <sighs> I could do one-on-ones, you know, coming from introverted parents I could do these one-on-one conversations, no problem, but you put a stranger in front of me and I'm staring at my shoes and shoving my hands in my pocket and wondering what I should say. Really? I, yeah, I know. A lot of people don't believe that because I think I've overdone it at this point. Now I might be a little too sociable. But, uh, but I very consciously, and I came to this conclusion um, probably in my late teens, and I very consciously began trying to talk to strangers. And there are so many grocery store clerks in the world who put up with my fumbling attempts to be sociable, but got me, it was so nice. It got me over the hump because that's where I started. Uh, And then getting my first job, which actually was in a grocery store and having to ask people if I could help them was also terrifying. I was still really working on it at that point, but it Mm. gave me something to say. And so moving from there was really helpful, but it was one thing after another that I very consciously put myself into to try to develop that ability to start and hold the conversation once you get in that conversation, I love talking to people. It wasn't that I didn't want to connect with people. I yeah. desperately wanted to, but I didn't know how to enter into that conversation. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Uh, my daughter is very, very shy. And I think, you know, at some point she'll have to do something about it. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's, it opens all of the doors, I think. As humans are social, social creatures. Not everyone is as social as I am. But when you look at getting jobs or, uh, or you know, opening new opportunities or even doing something fun, it often involves um, sending out an invitation or building yeah. a connection and getting to know people. And that was really a big part of why I did it because I realized I was going to be trapped in the quiet little corner forever if I didn't do it. And I was not the kind of person who wanted to, you know, quietly be in the corner, maybe write a book or do something along those lines. It didn't fit with my nature. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that anything, um, I mean, every time that someone uh, decide to face um, some limit or something that is bothering them and that they give themselves the, the means to, you know, to, as you said, to try and to um, overcome or this challenge that they have, there's always magic happening afterwards, don't you think? Yeah. And, you know, I set small challenges. I didn't say I'm going to become right. a I said I'm going to have a conversation with this checker. And But those successes build on one another, and that's where courage comes from, and that's where confidence comes from. 
So if I had tried to take the huge leap, I don't know what it, my head would have exploded. I couldn't have handled it. But all those little successes and all that feeling not okay, but it was a small enough risk that I could take it, yeah. built that courage muscle. And so I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I just wanted to be able to be better at talking to people. But what I realized in looking back and why it's one of my greatest successes is it taught me to be a calculated risk taker and to not take huge leaps, but take a million small steps Oh, great! and, and to build that um, skill of courage and to build that comfort with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I understand. And that's a little um, the same uh, nature of the Pomodoros, right? Like yes. uh, you, you don't try to hit two hours work straight up, straight ahead. But you can you tell us a little bit more about pomodoros? Yeah, so the pomodoros, I would have to look it up. It was an Italian man who came up and he was um, experimenting with uh, how to be productive. His productivity: how long should I work? When should I take breaks? And they're called pomodoros in Italian. Pomodoros tomato, and he used a little kitchen tomato timer. I don't know if you've seen those, but a little yeah. tomato and you twist it and then you put it at the number of minutes you want. And so that's how he experimented. So he came up with the 25 on and the five off. I think traditionally he does four sessions. We only do three because I think it's hard to get on people's work schedules with two hour blocks. Mm. But, um, but the things that, so I originally kind of did the Pomodoro a little bit on, on a whim. I knew we would only be doing 90 minutes and a lot of projects are really hard to start because you think, oh my God, I got to sit down and write my book, which is totally impossible to do. That's exactly. me sitting down as a shy kid saying, oh my gosh, I've got to uh, mm. become outgoing. Too big. You want to sit down and say, I'm going to have one conversation with the checker at the checkout. And that's what that 25 minutes can be. So the um, yeah. so that 25 minutes is, is that little bite. So um, yeah. Don't worry. So those little steps that take you to the into the long journey, right? Yes. Yeah, so that, that 25 minute little bite is much more approachable for a difficult project than sitting down to do the project in its entirety and forces people to break it down. Hmm. And uh, can you think about a great challenge that, that you have? Well, obviously, being shy was one of them but maybe a, a more recent one. Well, I can tell you about a, the biggest challenge I'm facing right now and working through was absolutely getting laid off as like that type A workaholic person. I've had jobs created for me. I've had people finding money in order to be able to give me the raise or whatever it is. And that's, you know, directly related to it's, you know, not that I'm the greatest worker in the world, but that's where my time and energy was yeah. put. Uh, so I made sure that I was that key person and that I was, you know, at that status and I built my relationships and I did all of that to pos purposefully position myself there. And I had gotten myself into this place with this company where I was going to get to build the job that I wanted. The problem was it was in professional development. So they loved me, but I was not of vital importance to them anymore. So mm -hmm. that actually, uh, really I could, um, cognitively logic my way around that whole story and say, oh, well, it makes sense. It's not that they didn't value me and it's not that I wasn't a valuable employee. It's this crazy COVID pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But that some deeper kind of more primal part of me just felt the rejection and the shame that went with it. Mm -hmm. And putting on top of that, I'm involved in a lot of digital communities 
Nobody was talking about getting laid off, and I knew I wasn't the only one. And no small business people were talking about how their business dried up and they weren't sure they were going to make it and that kind of thing. So that even just kind of twisted the knife a little bit more. Uh, so I yeah. started talking about it. That would be my background. I, have, uh, I worked in mental health for a while. So, I, you know, I know silence is not the answer. And I started blogging about it and I started talking to, you know, I was talking to people from the beginning because that's how I roll. But yeah. uh, there just wasn't a lot of conversation about it. So I made sure to start talking about it. And as I wrote about it and as I talked to people about it, I really realized I just gotten really defined. I had as I reflected on it, I found that I really was defining who I was and my value as a person by what I produced. And when I had a bad day at work, it's because I didn't get a lot done. And then I didn't feel good about myself. Mm. And when I had a good day, it was because I got a ton done. And then I felt better about myself. But I wasn't feeling good about myself on the days where I didn't get anything done. And I was no yeah. different as a person. So I gotten into this, I had unconsciously gotten into this pattern of yeah. valuing myself based on my productivity not on my character or who wow. I was as a person. So it was really important. So there's that challenge, right? So yeah. I've come to, that's come it, to light that that is a place I don't want to be in that I don't believe in, but I've trained myself to be that way. So I'm trying to unlearn that about myself. Right. I'm trying to catch myself thinking in those negative patterns and cut myself a break and really look at how I do things, whether I'm paid for them or not, whether people appreciate them or not. I'm really trying to focus on where I am as a person and how I'm functioning as a person and being generous and connecting with people and giving myself the space to take a break when I need to take a break. So, mm. As it's a driven beautiful. productivity person, that's not the easiest thing for me. I'm like, it's, what am I going to check off the list today? <laughs> no, but it's amazing what you're saying because um, just the fact of realizing and understanding the pattern that is just, uh, that's already, a, uh, you know, overcoming a challenge. That's the first step, overcoming. And, well, you know, how to how to go, what to do next, which would be, as you said, unlearn the partner. Right. right. That's, that's amazing. Any advice that you would have to, to your 18, sorry, 18 years old self? If I were to say something to my 18-year-old self, yeah. I would just grab me by the shoulders and just yell, do not trust your academic advisors. They don't know what they're talking about. Because <laughs> at 18, I was a year into college and academic advisors just, you know, I was in a, a place where I was interested in a lot of different things. I loved the sciences, but I was told if I wanted to be a scientist, I would have to get my PhD and teach or I would just be stuck writing grants all the time. That's actually mm -hmm. what I was told by my academic advisor, which was categorically un untrue. Uh. And I lost a whole bunch of college credits because people don't always do their homework. Like when you're young, you think that if just because somebody's older or more experienced than you, that they know things. They know things. And sometimes yeah. people are just really disengaged. Sometimes they're phoning it in. So I think checking, you know, I, I, I think appreciating your intuition for is this person, does this person know what they're talking about? Right. And if they don't, you got to Google it. And of course, I, you know, I'm old enough that Google was not big at that time. I don't know if Google was out at that time. Mm. These days, the first thing I would do is to Google it. But yeah. back then it wasn't an option. And I just, you know, I was 18. I was like, of course, yeah. it's your job. Of course, you know what you're talking about. Course, People yeah. don't always know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the system is really built not into, uh, you know, letting people find answers by their own. 
but uh, you know, trying to formulate whatever answer fits best the system. So it's a pity. Yeah, many opportunities in general have to you know the many opportunities that we've lost have to do with that positioning of not you know not empowering people empowering young people especially right in you know finding out and especially when at that age you have the world in front of you so you can make mistakes then right and I think that you know the larger lesson to take from that is use the label of expert I mean take the label of expert with a grain of salt Decide for yourself whether someone is an expert or not, not just because somebody stuck that label on them mm. or they're in a position. Mm, yeah. Any uh, resource, Heather, that you would uh, recommend to us checking out over the next few weeks? Yeah, my the resource that I always recommend to everybody all the time, and I still haven't found one that I think is better, um, it's called The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. She's an amazing researcher out of Stanford and she, so she does the research and then she applies it not only to her, I don't even know if she has um, students at Stanford, but I know she does their community education program. So she's using it with real people. And so she's taken this concept of willpower and habit change um, or, you know, um, or getting rid of a bad habit and applied, researched it and applied it to many different human beings in many different phases in their life of many different means. The thing I like about the book is that she tackles a lot of things you wouldn't think have anything to do with changing your behavior. She shines a light on things like uh, feelings of guilt and how those just make it even harder to meet your goals. So cut yourself some slack and she'll get into the science of why that's Mm -hmm. true. She'll help you understand how your brain is working and how stress will impact it. I was really at a point where I thought if I couldn't do something I set my mind to, I was weak. And after reading that book, that flipped that right on its head. And instead of saying to myself, I'm weak, I started to say, what's making this so difficult? Where's my stress level? How big of a bite am I trying to take? Right? You see all kinds of go-go done come out of this, all kinds of pomodoros, other people being there to support me and all of that. This was probably one of those early seeds that generated go-go done, which go-go done for me, I built it for me so I could get my work done. And it's set up in a way that works for me to be able to meet the goals that I set. And I think this willpower instinct book by Kelly McGonigal helped me stop saying, try harder and said, be more strategic and problem solve your way around getting yourself to do the things that you want to have done at the end of the day. So because between that book and the solutions that have come from that book, both go, go down and and a lot of other tactics that I use personally, uh, there's, you know, you don't go to I don't go to bed feeling ashamed of myself for being weak. That hasn't crossed my mind in years. Yeah, I understand. So it's more like going and digging in and understand what's going on mm-hmm. within you to find yeah, she, a better she strategy. Takes that perspective. She takes a physiological and a sociological perspective, hmm. and she looks at the science and she's researched it and she's tested on people, tested it on people, and so you can find. You know, once you go through it, you go through it with a couple of habits in mind that you feel like you would label yourself as weak for not accomplishing or not quitting. Uh, and it will it will totally change your mind on that. And instead of when you fail, instead of beating yourself up, which actually will make you more likely to fail further, you'll start to strategize and do something proactive that will improve your odds uh, the next time you're faced with that willpower challenge. Mm. And uh, if you could uh, send the world an email right now, Heather, 
what would that say? Please send me toilet paper. Oh, oh my God. Oh, really? Oh. No, we have toilet paper here, but it was a circus to get it. Really? My, uh, yes. Best friend and housemate, uh, he's a truck driver, and he works on a sh- uh, his shipping dock for his company is next to another one that supplies restaurants who, of course, are not using any of their toilet paper. So he uh, <laughs> asked if he could buy the case of 98 rolls of toilet. You can only buy them a case at a time. And so he bought a case of 98 rolls of pretty rough toilet paper, but it is toilet paper. Right. So we're okay. So maybe tell me if you need some toilet paper. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's in this wild pan- and crazy, yeah, I know. <laughs> in this crazy pandemic world, uh, if I could send everybody an email right now, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely stay connected. Uh, isolation. I, I firmly believe we are headed for a follow-up pandemic of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, I did work in mental health before. And when you look at something like a job loss, or you look at something like um, uh, your dream of the, of the business that you built, you know, kind yeah. of part, you look at losing a loved one. I mean, we're all experiencing so many difficult things. And you add on top of that, the need to isolate socially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can be a total like a lot of us have had a 180 in our lives and those are really difficult, really stressful times. And the, the worst thing to do is to isolate yourself, but we need to do that for each other's health. So reach out electronically, reach out over the phone, reach out in any capacity that you have six feet away. We have people in our backyard all the time across the fire pit and we have it marked where people can be and where they can't be. And we continue to connect with other people. And I think it's really important and really, it will insulate you from, um, from further um, yeah. feelings of helplessness and hopelessness that tend to contribute to uh, to issues around depression and anxiety. 